0: I am delighted to be here. I want to thank you, Amy, first of all, for allowing me to collaborate with um, your congregation, and also a very special person who is here today. You don't tell me. I'm honored to have my father by choice here, Uh also known as my father-in-law. Um, who um, has been a member of Westminster for how long? Yes, 40 years more or less. For about 40 <laughs> years. Um, so this is how I um, first got to know the church. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I am originally from Costa Rica. And um, my connection, my, my reason for being here is um, Merrick, my husband who grew up in this area. Um, so I have, this is my second home, you know, first this neighborhood. Um, so it's uh, very close to my heart um, and, you know, just a, an amazing uh, opportunity to be able to share um, what I know. What I've been practicing so far as a psychotherapist, I specialize in early childhood. Um, I work mostly in Arlington but all, all over the D.C. area. i an art therapist. Also, so everything that I do has a creative uh, twist and um, also um, lately um, I have been focusing mostly on families with very young children. So today, something about myself is, is that I enjoy being in conversation more than teaching um, so that this is why you don't have a handout in front of you right now. The handouts are right there for you to pick up on the way out. And I guarantee you that all the most important stuff is going to be in the handouts for you to get home and remind yourself if you need that reminder. But for now, I prefer that you're here with me, that we have a conversation. Because I know that when you are in your everyday life And you have a challenge, if you remember anything that is going to be helpful, it is from a conversation that was meaningful to you rather than something that you read. Do you agree with me? No? (laughs) Not for you, you need to see it. I don't remember it unless I put it through my brain to my pencil and down the paper. Oh, even, if, even if I throw the paper away. Yes, <laughs> and I identify with that too. I identify with that. But what I'm trying to say is, saying, yeah. try to keep the eye contact <laughs> on me yeah. rather than on your paper or the handout. Um, and then, of course, you know, write down uh, whatever keywords you know that are important to you. Of <clears throat> Very much no Uh Uh-huh, right, right. New training you're giving. This is part of why we need to get recalibrated. Yeah, welcome. Um, So today is the first of a series of three that I hope that you can give yourself that gift of coming to all three. But of course, you're welcome to come to just one or two. Um, And the idea is, to you have enough time to go through today discussing how raising children has changed over the years, what it looks like right now, and what science is telling us um, about bra- brain development, well, all kinds of development, um, and then self-reflect on what it's like for you. And if there's anything that you think would be helpful to put in your tool bag from this from this conversation next week we will be applying what we're talking about today to a very common and daily challenge the temper tantrums so it's very important that you keep in mind what we're talking about today because that's the foundation for um how I approach temper tantrums in a way that promotes the social emotional development of, of the children rather than just fixing um, the, the challenge in the in the moment. And then for the third Sunday, <coughs> excuse me, we will have more time for troubleshooting on your very specific challenges. After you've gone home, digested all of this information, and also, tried some of the things that we talked about, then your children will respond or your grandchildren will respond in a certain manner, right? So you will come back and say, wait, wait, what about when this happens or when that happens? And we'll get to give each other ideas and then also talk about your specific children because as you will hear from me um, today, every child is a universe. So there is no quick fix. I have no magic wand. I'm sorry. I have to make that disclaimer right away (laughs) in case that's what you were expecting. I have to say upfront that we have to get to know your little person first. Sometimes I don't even like to call them children because it sounds like I'm putting them all in the same bucket, right? Just like I don't like to be seen as just a woman, I'm a person, right, and uh, um, I don't want any recipe to be applied to me. There's no recipe for children either. Um, They're little people, and so short people, right, that's what my my father-in-law calls them. (laughs) And um, in that third Sunday, we will have the opportunity to really then get into specific situations and brainstorm together. Any questions about what we're doing or suggestions, please, if there's something in mind that you would like to make sure that I cover? Only that I advertise so you know that the Temper Tantrum series was the last one of the three. Oh, okay. Just, well just, it will I mean, it doesn't matter, yeah. but I just thought I'd i let you know that people may come in a bit Sure. Yes. Uh-huh. Well And then we can use that temper tantrum uh, as an opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, the third one will still be focused on the temper tantrum, but it's the brainstorming about it. Right. So in the second one, I'll cover the concept and demonstrate how I approach it. And then once parents go home and practice, then we get into the, now this is what happens. What if they run away (laughs) or what, you know, what if they're banging their heads against the floor in the middle of it? Um, And and so also, because we're going to have that opportunity um, in the third session, then I ask you to um, save that kind of conversation for that Sunday so that today we can make it through the content and also a second time. And then it's okay if you ask me, but I might redirect you to save the, the question about your specific situation for that Sunday okay all right so um, first um, I want to give you the big picture okay where I'm coming from um, is like I was explaining not applying a recipe to um, to any given situation but seeing any challenging, behavior, right, that's what we usually call it, behaviors, as the tip of the iceberg, right, what we see is just what is on the outside, and if we're going to really make a transformative difference, if we want to raise a healthy self-reflecting adult who can problem solve by themselves, then we need to go under the iceberg and see what else is going on and role model that for them as well, that we don't just fix things, but first we reflect on what is happening. And so for that, there's a couple of um, sources of knowledge that I want to share with you today um, regarding being a parent and then also regarding brain development especially in early childhood, although it applies to to all of childhood. Um, so I'm going to start with what's happened with parenting in the last 100 years. Um, and I want to start by playing an audio for you that is only a couple of minutes. Um, it is where this handout that I created comes from, the the studies of Dr. Allison Govnik. And she was interviewed by NPR. I don't know if any of you has heard um, Raising a Human, I think is what it's called. Hold on. How to Raise a Human. Have you heard that show? Yeah? As opposed to dog? Yes. <laughs> um, it's, I highly recommend that, uh, All of their shows are on their website, and they're all about 10 to 15 minutes. This was an interview with Alison Gopnik, and in these couple of minutes, she explains her um, comparison of two ways of raising children, and that's what I'm going to get into um, sharing with you, but um, I think she does a wonderful job of, of explaining it, so I want you to hear it from her. Alison Gopnik is a professor of psychology and philosophy at the University of California, Berkeley. She is the author of several books about children's development. Her most recent book, The Gardener and the Carpenter, explores the different ways parents can raise kids and the consequences of those choices. Alison, welcome to Hidden Brain. Glad to be here. Your book is built around... This is Hidden Brain. I'm Shankar mm. Okay. Sorry about that. The connection is interrupted and it's taking me to the beginning of the show, so I'm not going to be, it will take me long to get there. So I will just share it with you <laughs> what she says. But just so you know, it's there. So you can hear the whole interview that is 15 minutes and she's delightful. Basically, what she explains is that. The experience of raising children has changed dramatically in the the last 100 years in the Western world. And she's referring particularly to the United States. Because our society has changed. We've gone um, from being an agricultural society to an industrial society. So as a result, what's happened is that families have become smaller right, because we don't need so many children to farm the land. Technology has given people the ability to move in the country, which means that we could be living anywhere away from extended family. And also, thanks to science and technology, we're able to have children at older at an older age. So nowadays, we we see more people having children for the first time in our 30s or even 40s, right? So what this means is that we have a lot of experiences before we become parents for the first time. That means we either go to school, we have many jobs, we have already a career, and then we do parenting as if it's, one more of those experiences that we have been very successful at. Right? So then I did that myself. I scheduled. I scheduled my having children. I'm finishing my PhD, and then when I'm doing my dissertation, that's when I'm going to get pregnant. My child is going to be born here. James knows this. <laughs> and then my plan was completely thrown off, of course, because it turns out it was a human life. Right. It wasn't a little project of of mine. (laughs) Exactly. I couldn't build it like The the carpenter. That brings us to the carpenter. So for the style of parenting that she calls the carpenter, parenting is a task to accomplish. And because it is a task and we're used to being competitive about everything that we do, then we also do it in a competitive manner, right? Whereas, I'm going to be going back and forth between the two styles. For the gardener, and raise your hand if if anybody here is is a gardener or has been at some point, right? You know how much control you can have of the garden, right? Exactly some some control as a parent, you see it as an being a and so notice here that there's parenting and being a parent or becoming a parent. So being a parent is an experience that is like no other experience. It's really not comfortable, and it is just something that you do to enjoy it. Just like gardening, right? Sometimes you put in a lot of work and what grows is completely different from what you expected at the beginning or what you intended. And sometimes you get surprises, right? Right. Things grow that you didn't intend, but they end up being great. And as long as you're in it for the enjoyment, then you're definitely going to enjoy it <laughs> because you are not attached to an outcome. Which is here for the for the um, carpenter. The focus is more on an outcome and an achievement. And in the long term, that outcome is a certain kind of person that you want to raise, of your choice, right? You have in mind this is the kind of child or this is the kind of adult that I I want them to be. And you do everything you can to raise that, that kind of person. For the gardener, the focus is in the joy of the moment, the surprises that usually come up. And in the long term, you're going to get a kind of person that is the child's choice. You realize that You can do everything that, that is possible to you in the moment as a parent, but also that child is born with certain genes and certain temperament. And even if you have two or three or four children, they each are going to experience their growing up differently, right? How many of you have many children? Well, these days, (laughs) I think many is four, right? (laughs) Three or four is is a lot these days. Um, And so... uh, Exactly. And so they are growing in the same home, right, with relatively the same opportunities and relatively in the same, um, you know, amount of, of few years. But they're all going to be something different, right? And even if you ask them, um, if you if you think as an adult also about your own siblings, if you have siblings, and you talk about your parents, I see you nodding. <laughs> right. They say that nobody grows up in the same family. Nobody because you experience your parents in a very different way, your parents and and your environment. The environment for the carpenter is a woodworking shop that is enclosed, that can be, the conditions can be controlled, right? Because inside you can control the temperature, the materials are not gonna change very much, maybe a little bit. Um, the tools are the tools. Um, and if something doesn't come out the way you want it, you can turn it into something else or you can turn it into scraps, right? But there's that possibility of, of, uh, of, of rejecting something that, um, that didn't come out the way you wanted it. Whereas, and so it is also protected. This is very important for, for parenting, right? That when we're parenting under this approach, we believe that we can protect our children from, from the rest of the things that are happening around them, um, that we can structure it. So you know about over-scheduling, right? Very, very structured. Um, and and most importantly, we, we are the ones controlling that. And then um, for the gardener, instead, there is a garden. There's an environment, and we do everything we can to put in extra nutrients or, you know, keep keep out maybe the animals that are coming in to eat it. Um, but we know, and so we know that we can work with the conditions to some degree. But also, it's going to be ever changing. The weather we cannot control, but we do what we can with with those conditions. Does this make sense so far? Yeah, okay. So take a minute to just stop and come inside of you. You don't have to share this, but think about what approach you have identified with the most so far, just for yourself. Well um, how about I direct you to the yes to to the the handout so that we can keep going um, but it's two different styles of uh, being uh, parent the last thing that I'd like to say um, about this and I encourage you to read the book because it's, it's really amazing and she explains the historical part of it of how you um, being a parent has evolved this carpenter style has been happening more or becoming more popular in the last 100 years only and it's what we you know yeah, we I see. Huh thought I thought it was the going the other way we were going oh, to the No <laughs> well if you go to a bookstore and you look for parenting books, or you look in the internet, for, at parenting websites, what do you tend to find? Give me the quick fix. Yes, exactly. Because college is one of the outcomes, right? right? So, you need to to keep that in mind, you know, hope that <laughs> they're going to go to college. Absolutely. That's what you find in bookstores. Is, I mean, there's everything. Believe me, I tried to potty train my child in 3 days. I I did. I tried. Did you of course not. I mean, I I tried. My child didn't do it. <laughs> I tried in 12 hours. <laughs> I have a long
1: story
0: about that. Yes. Nice. But we're not successful. Exactly. Because again, you know, every person is going to respond in a different way. I mean, why would every child have the same thinking, physiology, Everything as other children to follow, you know, a certain method. Same thing for sleeping. Same thing for eating. Same thing for getting them to read at three years old. You can, f- anything, n- just name it and you'll find a how-to book for it or website, right? Or, and, and usually also if you, if you read between the lines, those books are not based on research they're more based on anecdotal experience. If my four children got potty trained in three days that means yours should be as well. Now what the science says is that healthy human beings learn and develop socially, emotionally in a more healthy way in this manner, in the gardening manner. Why would you think that is? From your own experiences, why would that be healthier? Because the child is who they are, they're not wrong, they're trying to be controlled. To do something in a way. Right. And if you feel it, Accepted, then what? What comes next if you feel accepted? Mm-hmm. Who you are and what you're doing for more freedom. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're also exposed to smaller challenges on the right side, as opposed to everything being controlled for you. Uh-huh. You learn to overcome things. Right. So you tend to be more adaptable and better at problem solving when you've been given the opportunity to I problem solve. I think you would agree with this, but I think it does depend on the track. Sure. And obviously both and. Mm-hmm. In a variance. You know, I mean yes. It goes like this. Yes. So, Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Some children do enjoy stru- more structure right. than others, right? Some children would be very anxious if they have a lot of choice, and they and they need more hands-on guidance. So as parents, we need to modify, right? Even in the same household, we have to be slightly different parent, a uh, slightly different parent for this child and that child, and that, and that child. Um, however, in general, children learn. In more um, transformative and and, uh, effective manners if they're able to discover and explore themselves. Because then, you know, just like we were saying if you, if you read something or somebody gives you the answers, you're going to retain some. But if you experience it yourself, if you, if you, in an Right. right. It all depends but, on the situation. Right. No, you're I'm absolutely right. Yes. Yes. And and that is just the genetic piece. Right? right. right? It's Mm -hmm. That's what the child is born with, that they do come into the world with a temperament that you might remember. You could sense that in the first days of life, right? Whether that baby is irregular or regular with their sleeping, their eating, if they're very sensitive, if, uh, if they adjust to changes. That is, they're already born with that. And then, of course, the environment helps to adjust, you know, to build the skills that maybe they didn't come with. For some of them, some skills come more naturally than others, right? So that's our piece. And science has not yet determined... Thank you. Uh, What percentage we can attribute to nature versus nurture. I think everybody has a, a different opinion on that. But we sure. do know that definitely every person is, has a little bit of, of each um, nature and nurture. So, like James was saying, we can blame blame it whatever <laughs> is happening. We can blame it to one or. Or, or the other. Well, and of course the other piece <laughs> Or technocratics. Or significant. The other yes. case you may be addressing too is, is darn it all, that we you know, mimic the way we were raised. And mm-hmm. It's a hard habit to break. You know, we all are aware of it, but I will speak to myself. I was raised in a very tool I forget the term manager, carpenter, or, you know, carpenter mm-hmm. area. In mm-hmm. you know, a household. As hard as I worked on trying not to be too much of a carpenter, I, of course, you know, because I was raised under a carpenter roof, it worked well for one child, and it didn't work so well. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's delightful to hear about this research, because it does seem to take this job. Wonderful. Yeah. So that's, you learned that from your environment. Correct. Right? and and it may or may not have fit well with you right. but we can still continue to adapt and experiment right it's all it's all about um even though i do believe for, from my own experiences and also this is what you know the the science of child development says that that the gardener approach is healthier for everybody, not just the child, but also for the parents, right? So that you know for yourself that you can do your best and there's going to be some things that you cannot control, right? So you, you don't have to take all of the responsibility for your child's um, development. Even though this is what I uh, agree with, um, I also think that is parents' choice right, what what they pick and choose from any approach has to do with their own personality and what they think is gonna work best for their children too, for each individual um, child. So like I was saying at the beginning, I hope you take some tools for your toolbox, but this is no, you know, fix it all um, approach. Something else that I wanted to share with you is A very important thing that we need to have in our radar uh, as parents is how we are constantly cultivating self-regulation in in our children. And self-regulation is not just controlling yourself. That's what it sounds like, right? It's actually being able to experience your own emotions and then cope with them in a healthy manner. That's it. <laughs> right? <laughs> so simple. So who has achieved self-regulation? Raise your hand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a life journey, right? We're constantly. We're. I mean, we never. We never end. We go through different stages of our life, and in each stage, we have to develop new skills of of managing our our emotions. This comes from a book that I also highly recommend, The Whole Brain Child by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. And what I love about it's it's for parents, um, written in a very understandable language. And they do a lovely job of explaining what's happening with the brain. So remember what I was saying about the iceberg? When we see certain behaviors, we need to think what's happening in their little heads, right? So, because we cannot fix just the tip of the the iceberg, fix. We need to address what is happening under the water if we want to see a lasting change. Now, if if we don't mind um, an approach that makes the child act in certain ways just because we want them to follow our directions, then that's okay. We don't need to understand what's going on with them, right? But if we want them to internalize what positive behavior is and be able to show that behavior in every environment, even when we're not present there to remind them, and also throughout their lives as adults, too, then it needs to be the deeper internal kind of work so that it will be long-lasting and generalizing to all of their their aspects of development. So as you can see here, I also like to point out that it's in the first five years of life that 85% of the brain connections are initializing, let's say, right? They, they continue changing throughout the lifespan, but this is when most of it is happening and it's it's that prime time where you can teach skills and it see that they're going to last for a, a, a lifetime because it's basically our brain is being shaped in those years. Not that it cannot change, right? All of us continue to change our brain throughout our lifetime. It just Takes longer <laughs> and more effort. Just like when we're learning anything new, right? Anything new that we learn later in life takes more effort. So it's good to, as parents, make that investment so early in life. Welcome! <laughs> and um, this book explains all the different parts of the brain. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on on um, two parts of the brain. Um, but just so you know, if you read the book, it talks about many parts of the brain and how, for thriving, we need to be able to connect all those parts of the brain so that they help each other basically as a as a team. I want to go first to this graphic that I love because it's so so great. Children love this, this idea that our brains have an upstairs and a downstairs. So the upstairs right here is the thinking part. And as you know, it's also the part that develops later, right? So when we're born, we are working mostly with the downstairs right here. This part of the brain is the survival brain. This is the part that helps us with the reflexes, with knowing all the instincts, knowing that we have to eat and that we have to breathe. And what we need to do, we we have to run if something is dangerous. So the the downstairs is what keeps us alive, right? Thank goodness for the downstairs. But later in life, we start developing more of the thinking part, right? So that's why they say that every two-year-old could meet criteria for bipolar disorder. Because, you know, they're, they're so emotional. And they, they can go from zero to 100 in two seconds. And it doesn't make any sense, right? How are they ever going to be high-functioning hum, human beings? Well, they still haven't developed. The, thinking, the rational part of of the brain. And also, every human being develops it at a different pace. So we cannot say either a 3-year-old or a 4-year-old should be acting this way. Because they, they could be in a different pace and also we develop different parts of the brain at different paces to make it even more interesting. <laughs> you could be a genius in, you know, your creative uh, part of the brain and just average in your analytical part of the brain or the other way. There are so many different combinations. So as you can see, the emotions are here in the downstairs, right? Why do you think that the emotions happen down here? What does that have to do with survival? How could emotions help us survive? Yes. Fear. you would be cognizant of fear. Danger. Mm-hmm. Stimulates the hormones and lets you run faster, which is what gives you ulcers of later life. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> it it makes you meet that deadline. Yeah. Also, right? Anyone seen the movie Inside Out? Can you tell us about how how the um, the characters uh, interacted with each other? Probably not. It's been a while since. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I can remind you. So, it's a. If you would like to do anything between now and um, next Sunday, watch that movie with your kids. If it's 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 appropriate to any age because little ones, they'll just get the fun of how, you know, different adventures happen, and then the older ones, they really get the sophisticated message, and the adults, too. On Netflix, so In, it yeah, it is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. What I remember taking my phone it that it, uh, it was a great movie for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, thank you. So each character is an emotion inside of the brain of a girl. And you can see how they collaborate and how sometimes they fight with each other too, right? Um, And so there is that um, important function that emotions serve, but there's also the need to manage them, right? Because sometimes if this happens, if the downstairs is on fire, if our emotions are on fire, then what happens is that the upstairs is going to be smoky. And we're not going to be able to think and make sound decisions as well. As if, because this this is really, there is... um, a reason for this to happen it is that when we have the fight or flight response, we really do need to save ourselves. Thinking is not gonna help in those moments. We just have to save ourselves. But in our everyday life, sometimes the downstairs just get on fire and we're not realizing that we're not giving ourselves enough time to cool down to make better decisions. Raise your hand if you've ever said something in the middle of an argument that later you regret it. <laughs> right? And then you think, how did I say that? <clears throat> now I have to go and clean up the mess and apologize. Say, look, I really didn't mean it. I was just angry in the moment. But what I really meant <laughs> is this. That's because your downstairs was on fire. And it happens to all of us. And it's still going to happen, right? There is no way that it won't go on fire. Because we are human beings. But what we can do, and this is what we want to also role model and teach our children, is that we can do something to let that fire cool down and then make the decision. That we don't have to make make decisions right away. And that there are exercises we can practice to train our brain to do this. And the more we do it, the more easily that comes to us. So that then it becomes second nature. And so if we ask our children to control themselves in the middle of the temper tantrum, as we're going to talk about next Sunday, but their brain is still on fire, it's almost asking like the impossible, right? It's not fair (laughs) to the child or to ourselves because that puts us in a very frustrating situation of trying to control something that the child is physically impossible, um, is unable physically to do. And we're also, if we're just trying to control that situation, we are not teaching any skill to the child. And Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about how do we manage the temper tantrum in the very moment in a way that is teaching the child self-control or self-regulation. So more on that um, next Sunday. But for today, I wanted to give you this foundation that when we talk about teaching children any skills we have to remember how the brain is working not just theirs ours (laughs) right if we know that we're extremely frustrated with something that they're doing we need to put out our fire a little bit before we handle the situation because if I go in already frustrated what's going to happen with the child Exactly. They will escalate. And then again, that is a really painful experience for everybody involved, including the other siblings who are watching <laughs> and learning from it. So it's a, it's, it's a lesson for, for everybody. Now, in this book, they give some strategies that I want to emphasize here. And this is, with this we're going to close today because I realize that we have about five minutes left. And by the way, this applies to every age, but also in this book, what I love about it is that it is so applicable. It also breaks it down by different ages in the back of of the book. In terms of how you, um, it's all about your daily experiences with with the children, and so it it what it tweaks is the language that you use, the kinds of um, experiences that are more appropriate to certain ages. But it still is the same um, philosophy in, in general. So something that they recommend is to be able to develop all parts of the brain and have them collaborate with each other. If your child is very emotional, you need to first connect and then redirect, which is not what we do most of the time, right? Most of the time when we see a behavior, we want to correct it right away. But it turns out that many children don't respond well to that because of their temperament or because they're questioning, right? Like, why does that have to be the only way? Why do I have to do it your way when I'm a person just like you? And I can make choices too. And they realize, they realize that they have some power, right? They realize. And the temper tantrum <laughs> is the evidence that they know they have some power and they can hold on to that power. And since it's the only little bit of power they have, they're going to really hold on to it. Because other than that, they get bossed around all the time. At school, at home. They could be walking on the sidewalk and some random adult tells them what to do. So when they see that they can have some power, they're going to assert it. So, it works much better (laughs) to first connect with them. And what that means is when they're struggling emotionally, recognize what is happening, right? Just take a moment to let them know that I see that you look sad or I see that you look mad. Would you like to tell me? And even with a two-year-old with very little language, you can do this as long as you get down at their level and you speak the language, whatever language they, they speak at their, at their level. Because, you know, it varies how verbal they are at that age. And once they can express in some way what is going on with them and you give them some empathy, I am so sorry that you feel mad that you can't have that candy right before dinner. It's very hard that you have to wait a long time to have candy later. But those are the rules of our house. (laughs) And maybe we can think of another choice. Can you help me think of another choice? Sometimes they come up with great ideas that we could never have imagined that still work with the fundamental values that we're trying to teach or if they don't have ideas then we can come up with some other choice that again still works for us right so remember that they're not just completely choosing freely something that we think is unhealthy or is dangerous but we we have certain parameters they know the values of our family and we can say okay so you can have this choice or that choice? What would you like? Doing that then gives them this sense of like, okay, it's my choice. First of all, mom or dad heard me. They didn't just tell me what to do. They really care about how I'm feeling. And second, they're letting me have some power. I'm not saying that children think that way. I'm just saying that that's going on with with their emotions. So they feel that little bit of, of power. Skill number two is to engage and don't enrage. So we know, our kids, we know their hot buttons, right? We know what is gonna drive them crazy. We know what is gonna cause a temper tantrum. So if we can avoid going to those places directly and instead, either giving them choices or manage things in a creative manner, then we're not going to need to push those buttons. I'm going to give you a very quick example. This, I used to fight this battle, I don't anymore. Wearing the right thing for the weather. <laughs> this is a family thing. Um, and. And I realized that it didn't matter how much I told them that the weather was going to be cold or hot because that was just my words, right? They needed needed to experience it themselves. And so in creative ways, you know, I would say, okay, wear shorts today. Let's just see what happens. Let's go outside. And then you can decide what you want to wear. And that was then the only way that they could convince themselves that okay they needed something else. (laughs) 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 Right. It would exactly. And so, if after many experiences they still they conclude that that's the right thing to wear for them, then I think we need to respect them because it is entirely possible that they have a different body temperature than ours, right? (laughs) <laughs> and well, <laughs> we also have to live with the consequences of that. But also, if we can involve, uh, you know, other people in their lives, like doctors, teachers, friends, you know, their own peers, to help us deliver the message, it's well, much better. know, like middle schoolers are the fifth graders and graders in school, Where they, oh, was, like, yeah, exactly, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. Have a lot more power than parents do. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have to choose, right? How much do we? Is this one battle that we want to fight, yeah. or compared to the other battles, you know what? Which are the most important? So it's not all the time of telling them what what to do, because that will only go so far. Letting the clouds of emotions pass by is what we've been talking about, right? Letting the the brain cool down, but also giving them the message that emotions come and go. And there is no problem with being angry or sad and all of the ugly emotions because we're going to feel them because it's normal, right? But they pass. They cool down. And same thing with happiness. It's not forever. We have to experience all the emotions and just let them come and go. And that gives them the message that we can tolerate and work with emotions, that we don't have to be scared of having emotions, and that we need to have them all those emotions if we want to be healthy human beings. Because have you ever tried to ignore or repress an emotion? Yes? And how did that go? It still comes back in some other way, usually. And sometimes it affects our physical health. And the last um, skill is to always be trying to involve your body in your emotional regulation. Because, we forget this, although children remind us all the time about the mind and body connection, right? If they're physically uncomfortable or they're tired or they're hungry, their emotions are all over the place. But we as adults, we learn how to separate the mind and the body. Well, even as children, we start doing that. And so we forget. We forget that we have to constantly be involving our body. So even for just our own well-being and self-regulation, we need to be integrating some kind of movement. Uh, It doesn't have to be exercise like going to the gym, right? But just constantly moving and, and Moving with your children also in your everyday interactions, rather than expecting them to sit a lot, because it makes the learning harder. And I don't want to get on that soapbox of this our school system, <laughs> so stop me. <laughs> but um, but it's not the best for learning. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, okay. and thank you for participating. So next week. We will build upon this with the very specific challenge of, of uh, temper tantrums. Um, and also, I'd like to talk a little bit more about resilience next week, which we didn't get to um, today. So, Diana, what are the rubber bands for? Shall we come back? For <laughs> That's for the part I didn't get to, the resilience part. Okay. But I'll bring them next time. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you Thank too. You. Have a Thank great you. week. Okay.